the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. That's it, it's over. The 2021-22 Premier League season is done and dusted. Plenty of last day drama, but it's Manchester City that hold on to their crown as rivals Liverpool just come up short in what's been a brilliant Premier League title race. One of the most thrilling final days of recent years and City found themselves less than half an hour away from collapse at the Etihad but Pep Guardiola, and things can change so quickly as we now know, is the second most successful manager in Premier League title winning history. Incredible stuff on an incredible final weekend. A huge day at both ends of the M62, but it is City that defend the title. However, as we all know, it's not just a focus on Manchester and Merseyside this afternoon with big, big news at both ends of the Premier League table. Leeds's late, late win means they stay in the Premier League next season and Burnley's six-season stint in the top flight finally, finally comes to an end. Alongside that, we also have the race for Europe. Spurs held their nerve in the top four and Manchester United's defeat at Crystal Palace wasn't enough to keep them out of the Europa League spots next season. So a roller coaster of a final day. And after a quick pep talk, not not from Pep, obviously, as he's uh, way, way too busy, we here on the Football Social Daily are ready to roll. My name's Fergal Brennan, and on tonight's season curtain call, we have the distressed but delighted Ant McGinley. Ant, how are you? You know, you said it was a roller coaster of a final day. I think I'm one of those people that don't like roller coasters. I prefer, you know, like a nice tram that glides us all the way there. My my, my nerves are all over the place. So I think more like, actually, roller coasters wrong, washing machine. That's what it felt like today. A washing machine of a final day, uh, alongside Ant, someone who maybe didn't have a roller coaster of a, fa- a final day, but found themselves supporting Wolves, Aston Villa, and Brighton to do anything other than support his beloved Manchester United. Today, we have Alex Boardman. Alex, the bright lights of the Europa League. Are you excited? <laughs> I feel like throwing myself in front of a tram. Um, <laughs> no, no, not excited at all. It would have been better if we'd have finished eighth and wouldn't have had anything to do with that competition. Um, but I am, thank God, City won in the end because it was looking awful for a, for a long time. I, I thought Liverpool were going to do it and it, my life would have been unbearable. Uh, that's the spirit from the bright lights of the Europa League to the Premier League title race. And Ant, there is only one place to start tonight. Manchester Manchester City 3, Aston Villa 2. Manchester City holding on to the Premier League title. Four Premier League titles in the last five seasons under Pep Guardiola. As I mentioned in the intro, that now means that Pep is second behind Sir Alex Ferguson as the most successful Premier League title winner. But it was far from plain sailing. 2-0 down with 20 minutes to go. Matty Cash and Felipe Coutinho knocking in goals for Aston Villa. But five minutes of madness. Three goals in five minutes from City. Two from Ilkay Gundogan off the bench and one from Rodri means the title stays at the Etihad. And this was nail-biting, nervous stuff. But as a City fan, you've been here before. Yeah, I must admit that when that first Aston Villa goal went in, I did think the irony of City losing the league because of cash. 
that would have uh, that would have really ruined things for everybody. Um, but yeah, it's um, wow. I mean, I, obviously, it's ten years and one week since that Aguero moment. That's been in everybody's mind. You know, the, the celebrations last week and the statue. Uh, could we do it again? It's a bit like moving house, isn't it? It's like when you've done it and you're in there, you're really happy, you're really glad about it, you can have people around, but the actual doing of it is the most stressful thing you'll ever do. And I'd say that today was up there. I mean, just to put it into perspective as well, last last week we did, you know, we were 2-0 down against West Ham. It was a very similar game in many ways as well. That first half just wasn't there. It was like we're stumbling over the line, didn't know what was going on. 2-0 down at halftime, came back pulled it back, got the draw. But today, that's the first time, I think since 2006 in the Premier League, that we've come from two goals down to come back and win. And what a day to do it. Um, I mean, I think you say it was in five or six minutes, but it was 74 minutes before those goals went in, the first of them anyway. And the I dread to think what 70 minutes of stomach acid that high has done to my insides. Um, but the thing is, you know, we we, we believe, and, and it was interesting hearing the, uh, I think it was uh, Ruben Diaz was talking afterwards at the trophy presentation, and the uh, presenter asked him, you know, go on, let us in, what did Pep say? And Pep said, believe, you know, just believe, you've got to believe. And, I, you know, whether or not that's what he said and that's what happened. Um, yeah, this is this is... This is a really big moment for us. I think given how, if you think about it, really, you know, Pep's done brilliantly since he came here, turned things around. As you say, that we're starting to build a legacy in terms of what we've put there. But something that's always got in the way has been those big moments, like those Champions Champion League games that we've overthought, those cup semifinals that we've blown. You know, we saw it again with Real Madrid. We were almost there and, and it slipped through our fingers. And today, even though it was the league, it felt very much like a final because it was that simple result of if you win, you win everything. And I was starting to really worry if we were, if that this was a flaw that we got, if we, if we were going to bottle it. And I can imagine that I'm not the only person that has thought that. And, and there's possibly people within the club that have thought that as well. So that in itself having that big moment, that game where you must win, I think that in itself is as big as actually winning another Premier League. I'm going to move on to Liverpool in a second and, and get Alex's view on that. But Ant, I want to talk to you about Pep Guardiola's reaction after the game. He was breathless. He was just, the emotion was flowing through him and he was stopped by Sky to, to get his uh, views on the game after the final whistle was blown and the Man City fans have ran onto the pitch and the celebrations just exploded. But he, he was quite clear in what he said. He, he described the players as legends. He said, when you win the Premier League in this country four times in five seasons, it's because the guys in this team are so, so special and they will be remembered for that all of this pressure building up to this weekend has been this neck and neck race with Liverpool and he he actually mentioned Liverpool in his uh, in his post-match comments he said the magnitude of this achievement is related to the size of our rival I have never seen a team like Liverpool in my life congratulations to them as they've made us better and better each week and then he mirrored what I think the rest of us are feeling and he just said, I don't have the energy or the desire to talk or think about next season. I'm too tired. We are champions again. He's probably going home for a lie down and no one can blame him. But 
is that what makes this even more special? That just like in 2018-19, Liverpool have gone stride for stride, punch for punch all the way, and City have just shown when they needed to do it that they can. Yeah, I, there's some crazy stat where um, 14 out of the 15 times that people have got 92 points, they would have given them the Premier League. You know, and that's what Liverpool have got, or whatever amount of points. I've not even had a chance to look at the table. I'm all over the place. But, um, you know, the, the the performance that Liverpool have got to, to not win, to come second, you know, is... And you, you go back to about that, that quote by Mourinho, you know, when Mourinho came second uh, to City with United, the points he got in that season would have been enough to win in most Premier League seasons before that as well. And what's happened is, you know, we we could have been in a situation where we were talking right now where actually City had a trophyless season. Like, they were nothing. You know, they they didn't even get the uh, Community Shield, the Charity Shield that went uh, to Leicester at the start of the season. Obviously, out of the FA Cup and the the Champions League, and you could have been in a situation where Liverpool and fair play to them, you know, played every game possible, and they will do when when they do the Champions League final. They could have been on for the quadruple, which you know I could have lived with just because of what it would have done to the likes of Alex <laughs> to see Liverpool c- no. c- come away with that. No. But it, it just shows you how, like this 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 is what football is. You know, it's a game where you. You know, you have a winner, you have a loser, especially when you come to a cup competition or a league, it comes down, there has to be a decider. Someone has to win, someone has to lose, no matter what the gap is between them. And it, we've seen that ridiculous stat about how many points difference there has been between City and Liverpool over the last couple of seasons. And that's going to continue for the foreseeable future as well. And so, in in a sense, it's it's amazing. You know, when you look at it, it could have easily gone the other way. But then when you look at elite sport in Formula One, you're talking about hundredths of a second. And now we're looking in the Premier League, we're talking about one or two points being all the difference. And that's what makes it so important all the way through the season. Remember as well, you know, we lost the opening day of the season to Spurs. And, you know, what all that stands between us and Liverpool at the end of the season is one game that we drew and one game that they lost. And that's what it comes down to over 38 games. And the margins are so tight, Alex. And, and we flick from first place to second place at, at the end of the season. And Manchester City, 38 played, 93 points and a plus 73 goal difference. Liverpool, 38 played, 92 points and a plus 68 goal difference. The, the margins between Pep Guardiola's side and Jurgen Klopp's side are so, so thin. Manchester City will end the season as Premier League title holders. They've retained the title. Liverpool with two domestic cups and the Champions League final against Real Madrid next weekend. But you get the sense that there was an opportunity here for Liverpool. And the interesting thing for me is we were were all multi-screening today, watching City, Liverpool, all the other action as it was going on. Liverpool did have an opportunity. Now, we don't know how much of the message was being relayed to Jurgen Klopp and to the Liverpool players, the crowd at Anfield, were they screaming the score at certain players? But Liverpool did have a huge window of opportunity where City were down to react. Obviously, they can't impact the result down the M62 at the Etihad Stadium, but they themselves can keep it in their own hands. And the crucial thing for me is there was never a point when City were behind that Liverpool were actually in front. No, no, that's true. Um, I watched the Liverpool 
match because I, I basically I had to decide which I was going to avoid all of it and watch United and Crystal Palace and it was United was so bad that I was like and they weren't giving updates on that one so I was like I've got to be I've got to see what's happening so I was watching the Liverpool match and the crowd um were not really playing a massive part the crowd was so nervous uh Liverpool went a goal down uh Dendonka had a really good chance to make it 2-0 um at the cop end with um, I think that was probably in about 25 minutes and the crowd were really, really nervous. Then Liverpool came back, it was 1-1, 1-1 at half-time and then news filtered through when Villa had gone 2-0 up against City and it was like the crowd really, uh, the Anfield crowd really sort of started getting behind them for the first time and I think they were believing they were going to do it. But Liverpool, um, I think, the the difference with the Liverpool is they they had Salah's not a hundred percent fit. Possibly they're keeping him for the Champions League as well. He did come on and he did score. Uh, Van Dijk wasn't playing and they just looked not really with it. Not like they've looked when they've been at the peak. It was almost like have they played that extra game too many? Is it the odd change that's happened? Has it affected them? Um, and actually, even the commentators said when they brought on Salah. Uh, and um, I think they took Jota off. Uh, they were saying it's not actually worked it, for for a, for a long time. But ultimately, Liverpool did do the job. They they won three one in the end. Uh, Wolves Wolves were great by the way in that game. They really played the part and uh, could have scored two or three themselves. Liverpool could have scored four or five to be honest. Um, so uh, if you're a Liverpool fan. I suppose you've got next week to look forward to. You've got um, the game against Real Madrid for the Champions League final. Obviously, that's a huge game, so it's not all doom and gloom. And it wasn't like they petered out and, and only drew 1-1 or they lost. They did ultimately do their job. So I think I think it's been exaggerated, the, the, the Liverpool League campaign, because I don't think really they've ever been in the driving seat of the league at all, as, as as far as I can remember, it always looked like City would win. Um, but you know, I'm, I am happy because I work half the time. I am in Liverpool. My life, I cannot tell you how bad my life would have been had City not. I would have had a, the worst year I would have had <laughs> since lockdown when Liverpool did win it and we opened back up and I was in Liverpool every other weekend. That was painful. This would have been worse. This would have been worse. So I'm delighted. And also a bit drunk. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, we're going to switch across to the race for top four before we take a break, Anton. It ended as it started on the final day of the season. Tottenham will be playing Champions League football next season as Arsenal come up short. 5-0 away at already relegated Norwich for Spurs. Arsenal also knocked in 5-5-1 at home to already safe Everton. So big, big wins on both sides of North London, but ultimately Spurs win the day. So I just want to get your, your take on this because... I'll be honest, as an Arsenal fan, I don't buy this idea that Arsenal deserved it because over the course of the season, they were better. I would say that when it really came down to it, small margins, better players in the right areas of the pitch, Tottenham just had a bit more. And they had a little bit of a stumble around April time, just looking back over their results, one win in a month. But three of their final games, they didn't concede a goal. Nine goals scored. Huge win in the North London derby. They got a point at Anfield, which had a big role to play in the title race as well. This argument of being deserving over 38 games can be thrown in the bin if you can turn it on 
for four or five games when you really, really need it. The thing is, you look at Spurs' form, especially just the, these last seven games. That Liverpool game was one draw in seven and they won the other six. That's the same form as City had, or even better than City had in, in the run-up to uh, to this final day. And I think Spurs absolutely deserved it. And I'm delighted, um, for for not for Harry Kane, uh, not for anybody other than Hyung-Ming Son, because you know, he, he's walked away uh, with, with the golden boot or sharing it with Mo Salah, uh, although none of his goals have been penalties. And he's, he's a great player. He's also, just a little side note, uh, just to a quirk that's happening in South Korea at the minute, he's about to become two years younger. Which is, oh, is he? Yeah, because in, in South Korea, when you're born, you're one. And then the next time it's New Year's Day, you're, you, get, you become two. And uh, yeah, and uh, but the new president is revoking that to make everybody have the same ages as the international community. So there's going to be a lot of uh, South Korean people that are two years younger than they are. So that's really good news for Spurs because they could get another couple of seasons out of him. Um, yeah, they, Do you think Daniel been Levy will try and change his contract on the back of that? <laughs> mm, he's yeah. got two, years, two extra years. He's got three years yeah. left now on his contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, Kulisevsky looks amazing. The signings that they've brought in, uh, whether that was all down to Conte or whatever's gone on there, looks great. Hoiberg has been amazing since he came in. He was a great player for them last season. They've built a really strong squad and they look like they belong there. Um, Arsenal, I think, are, are, are lucky to be where they were. It, it, it did kind of tickle me that for so long, you know, Arsenal were that regular fourth place. What are we talking, like 16, 17, 18 years, you know, c- consistently qualifying for the Champions League by finishing in the top four. And then it's been that long since since that's happened. It's suddenly now you realise how valuable that was. But considering that, you know, you started the season with three defeats on the bounce, and then you had all the trouble, the Bamiyang. Then you went through another period of three or four defeats in a row. I, I think this is a really great result. And what was really interesting watching the scenes at, at the end of the game was was the fan base. That's the the fan base were really supportive. And you know, the Arsenal fans expect a lot. And you know, it's, it's a club with a great history. Uh, it's it's one of the one of the few clubs that have won the Premier League. Obviously, the Invincibles still haunts the the memories, but. You know, the, the, it's a club that's moving. It's going through changes. Finally, looks like it's settled in the in the new stadium. And you know that difficult moment with Aubameyang, we still don't know what's happened. It looks to maybe uh, have paid off. Enketia seems to be coming good. Odegaard seems like a brilliant signing, and th- there is hope. But I think you know, to to be fourth might have been a pushing it a little bit for Arsenal at this stage. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Spurs deserve to be there. Glad to see them back in the Champions League. And to be honest, you know, g- given the form that Chelsea have shown these last couple of um, weeks, you know, th- 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 they could have even sort of finished slightly higher than that. But and they would have deserved it. But uh, yeah, Spurs, Spurs, good value for it. And Arsenal, gotta say, good value for fifth as well. Alex, I want to get your view on Arsenal because they do end mm. the season in fifth. They're back in European competition, not in the Champions League where they would have wanted to. And for me, the biggest and most telling stat of why Arsenal are where they are 
is it's win or bust with them. Games like today, they win and they win at a canter. But pressurised situations, they have come up short more often than not. The Chelsea and Manchester United wins were impressive, but you look at the record against Spurs and against City and against Liverpool, and it's still as poor as ever. And the biggest, the biggest, the most standout uh, thing for me is we've drawn just one game in seven months in the Premier League. Now that shows... Arsenal either win and the purity of the football comes through and these young players step up to the mark or they're caught short as they were against Spurs and as they were against Newcastle. And Mikel Arteta won't be hitting the panic button this summer, but he needs to make some really big decisions. He said that Alexandre Lacazette and Eddie Nketiah will both sit down next week and discuss the potential of staying on or leaving. No Arsenal fan wants him to rip up what he's done this season because it has been impressive. But it's a test of his managerial skill now because he needs to make some really important decisions without overhauling and upsetting the balance of the squad, but proving that he's still able to make the big decisions under pressure. Yeah, it's, a, it's so interesting, this the way that this has turned out um, with Conte and, and Arteta and how much is Arteta to blame and how much is it the fact that it is a very young squad because um, we've spoken about this a couple of times over the last three or four months. And I think about four months ago, just round about, um, just after Christmas, I remember saying to you, and we were talking off air about Arsenal, um, how looks like Arsenal might finally be coming good. And it, they're finding something. They've got these young players. They've got Martinelli. They've got Saka. Um, Odegaard's playing really well. Could they, you know, is this a great start for Arsenal? Then about... Two months ago, we were thinking the wheels were falling off at Chelsea. Arsenal were in fourth and absolutely flying. And we were going, Arsenal could get third. Arsenal look absolutely superb. They were clattering teams with the exception of Liverpool and City, which, to be fair, no one else in the league is really beating. Um, and then just as you, as you mentioned before, the last six, seven games, when it was all in their own hands and they've absolutely thrown it away. Um, with just, you know, really sort of when Arsenal were weak on, at the, towards the end of Wenger and then ever since, you've got this typical Arsenal performance where it was kind of trying to be a bit too fancy, can't go away, you know, can't do a, a wet Tuesday in Stoke. Um, and I, I really don't know what's happening. I, I wonder if it is partly to do with the Conte factor at Tottenham and Conte coming in and putting some steel there. And as soon as they were challenged mentally, um, especially by the biggest rivals and the fact that Tottenham also started to gain, they were gaining ground on them and then suddenly they overtook them. And I think, I, I don't know what exactly the answer is. I, I think there's a couple of, a couple of players they have to keep. I think they have to try and keep Nketiah. I think, um, Obviously, Martinelli will stay. I think Saka will stay. It's can you, you know, can you maybe firm up the midfield? Are you a defender light? Um, conversely, with Tottenham now having Champions League football, it was only the beginning of this season that you know Kane basically sulked for about three months because he didn't get his move to Man City. He clearly didn't want to be there. Now he's suddenly he's back in the Champions League. Son's in the Champions League. You'd like to think Tottenham would probably strengthen on the back of getting into the Champions League. They've got a, a, a manager with, you know, with a great character and a very definite style of play. Will Arsenal next season even be able to compete with Tottenham, who've slightly improved? Um, who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea? But, 
you know, are, are Arsenal gonna gonna make top four top four next season? What would they have to do? I, do, I don't know. I, th- I do. I find that I find that fascinating. Um, the way that the last few games of the season, it was almost this mental challenge that they couldn't rise to because on their day they are a, a beautiful football side, Arsenal. But you know, what are they missing? Is it experience? Is it steel? Is it character? And is it just a, is it just an out and out twenty five goals a season centre forward? I don't I don't know. That's for our centre. <laughs> the, the the interesting thing there about the the difference between Spurs and Arsenal is actually when you when you look at it the way Arsenal have ended this season, you know, it, it's almost been very Spursy. If you look back over the last ten seasons or so, we've had Spurs have been in a great position and then drifted away, and of course we had the food poisoning story about Harry Kane again. You know, terrible memories coming back for people about that. And and so you wonder, but what what they managed to do is is flip that narrative. So Arsenal have become the most Spursy team in North London. I th- I think the I think Arsenal have had this sort of bit of a lightweight reputation since the back end of en- of, of Wenger when it was the you know trying to walk the ball in all the time. A lot of flair players that are on the day fantastic, but it is a fifty fifty if they'll turn up. But um, I don't know. I, I I just I think it's been a really really interesting day on reflection and there was so much to play for throughout the league all all day that it's um it's just been it's just been really it's been it's been an interesting end it, it has Fergal you mentioned about multi-screening I don't know if anybody else felt this but I kind of in my head imagined that I was in a CCTV control room <laughs> <laughs> so many different screens going on yeah uh, it was. I would agree, uh, Alex, that it was an interesting end to uh, to the campaign. But as an Arsenal fan, I, I'm I'm still two uh, glasses half empty rather than half full as uh, as we wrap up the campaign. But probably on balance, when it all gets shaken out, I think it is probably a fair return for for where Arsenal as are as a team, I should say. Uh, final result involving the top five on the final day, which were classing as a dead rubber. Chelsea two, Watford one. Watford obviously already relegated almost getting themselves a point at Stamford Bridge on the final day, but three points and third place for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea. Right, we're going to wrap up for part one of the show. After the break, we are talking relegation or, more importantly, relegation survival. Leeds United will stay in the Premier League next season, but Burnley are down. We're going to be picking the bones out of that. Managerial sackings, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We're going to be getting the guys' views on post Sean Dyche, and post Marcelo Bielsa. All that to come in just a sec. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the final Football Social Daily podcast of the 2021-22 season. Manchester City are Premier League champions. Liverpool coming up just a little bit short in the title race. Tottenham making the top four alongside Chelsea and Arsenal clinching a Europa League spot. But in part two, we're going to be jumping down to the bottom of the table. They will be celebrating all night in Leeds tonight, Alex. Leeds United staying in the Premier League 
almost as dramatic as Manchester City winning the Premier League. Leeds United 2-1 away from home at Brentford. That bettered Burnley's result after they lost 2-1 at home to Newcastle. So I want to focus on the positives before we look at the negatives, and that's Leeds and their survival. Rafinha running into the crowd, celebrating with the fans. Rodrigo taking all his clothes off and throwing them at the Leeds <laughs> fans. In a positive way, he was throwing his clothes at them. Um, <laughs> but ultimately... With, with both of these teams and both of the fan bases, the, the big talking point is managerial sackings. Marcelo Bielsa leaving Leeds and Sean Dyche leaving Burnley. Universally not particularly popular for different reasons. Jesse March came in just before Mike Jackson took over at Burnley. 12 games for Jesse March, just four wins. That's a 33% win percentage, lower than Mike Jackson at Burnley. But similarly, again, when the margins are so thin and it can just be the toss of a coin, all of these numbers can be forgotten because it's Leeds in the Premier League next season, and now Jesse March could have a chance to rebuild. Yeah, I was watching him um, be interviewed about uh, about an hour ago, um, just after it. He's obviously, he was absolutely delighted. Um, it does, I know, it's, I know it's such a cliche to say it, but anyone that's seen Ted Lasso, there is just that slight jarring where it just feels like he doesn't quite get it, and I don't, I, and and that might just be, you know, that, that might just be racism on my part. But um, well done to Weeds. I'm, I'm out of all the, uh, out of Burnley or Weeds, I would have favoured Weeds staying up. Um, one because it's one of the very few teams United, Man United, can actually beat. Um, but two. I think I just think it is a bigger footballing city, uh, and it, people say they've been a, a breath of fresh air. I think that's kind of worn out a little bit now, but I do think they've got two or three absolute cracking players. Rafinha being one, um, and I just wonder again. It's exactly what I was thinking with with Tottenham. The fact that they stay in the league, um. Do does does it mean um, that they can keep hold of two or three of the best players and possibly again a little bit like Tottenham, a little bit like Arsenal, strengthen a bit to see if they can maybe get up to to sort of mid table. Um, I think what Bielsa did was was such a we're gonna do this is exactly the way we play. We are never gonna change. Um, and I think at first it, it was like the first few weeks of the first time we came up. Uh, everyone was like, "Wow, this we've not seen this before. We've not we've not seen left backs playing on the right wing and not tracking back in centre forwards at centre half and stuff." Um, and then I think they were found out quite quickly. So I think Marsh has done a, a a decent job to get everyone to to just tighten up ever so slightly. Um, and on the other side of that, Burnley. I mean, Nick Pope has been absolutely fantastic. Probably putting himself right in contention to be England's number one possibly possibly question marks about his distribution um but i just wonder i don't think daesh would have done too much better but when it absolutely came to it today it was in burnley's own hands um had burnley won today they would have been safe and mm. i just wonder i know we were talking about this off air and you think differently fergal but i just wonder if daesh today would have absolutely somehow dragged them through and just got the win 
this is one of the things and that we have to almost crystal ball and look into the past and look into the future to try and to try and guess how things would have played out when Sean Dyche was sacked and Mike Jackson came in the the rolling narrative was that that's Burnley done they were in a difficult position when Sean Dyche was sacked they just lost to Norwich despite beating Everton and breaking a bit of a poor run of form Mike Jackson came in and was actually a breath of fresh air. And then at the back of his first few games, and let's not forget he picked up 10 points from his first four games, Burnley seemed fine. But ultimately then we're looking at the end of the season and he's got just one point from four. So it is contrast when you look at one half of Mike Jackson and the other half, but also everything is in such a state of flux because Sean Dyche, there was arguably a change needed because when Mike Jackson was doing well, all these stories were coming out that, you know, he's loosened the chains a little bit and Sean Dyche's methods weren't really working and there was a freshness needed and Dwight McNeil was playing well and Maxwell Cornet was playing well. Ben Mee was somehow kind of de facto coach. The tide has just turned a little bit. Mike Jackson's come into this position and basically been told to keep Burnley in the Premier League. He's never managed in the Premier League before and he's come within one result of doing something that there's not a guarantee Sean Dyche would have done. Yeah, I, I think there's a really interesting factor with the replacing the manager for the teams that are threatened with relegation. And when you look at a lot of the other teams, they seem to already have somebody else lined up to come in. Uh, you know, the the prime example of that being Watford, who seem to have like, you know, just people on speed dial ready for that uh, position. But the w- w- with with Burnley, that it was like there was nobody there and it was right at the point when they needed somebody in. And I think a, a lot of us have been like, Burnley will be all right because they've got these games in hand. But actually, you know, there's not been a, that many points knocking around. So those games in hand effectively turned out to be worthless i think they also the the, the other significant factor it, it comes down to the time you mentioned there about the time that the new managers had when they came in and i think we can discount you know the watford because they make so many managerial changes anyway and norwich because they were they were gone from very early on but when you look at how the league table has panned out those teams that have been threatened with relegation throughout this season their you know the the finishing position is almost in the order the reverse order at which they change their manager so Burnley have gone down they were the last team to change their manager Leeds uh, swapping Bielsa out shocking as it was but they had somebody in place to come in with a job to do same thing at Everton Aston Villa went earlier right Newcastle went back in January, bringing in Eddie Howe. And then, of course, the other big one was getting rid of Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, which saved United. <laughs> That's a bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to leave United yeah. and We're going to open up Alex's therapy when we start part three on United getting into the Europa League. But before we wrap up on the relegation position, um, Alex, I, I just want to get your take on this because hindsight is a wonderful thing when Mike Jackson's Burnley have been relegated and Jesse March's Leeds have been saved. And Leeds is possibly even more interesting. Before they got the equaliser against Brighton last weekend, they were singing for Marcelo Bielsa. At the start of the game today, they were singing for Marcelo Bielsa. The Leeds fans are not delighted with the situation. They're delighted with staying in the Premier League, but there does seem to be more discontent there than with Burnley because if Mike Jackson is replaced this summer and a manager comes in that gets them back into the Premier League, that's a clean page to start on. Whereas Leeds still seem to have this Bielsa hangover despite the fact that they've just, by the skin of their teeth, stayed in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, if you think, though, he did bring them up 
and he played such such attractive football, especially when they're in the championship. And for half of that first season, he Leeds Leeds have been in the wilderness for well over a decade. And it looked, you know, with the financial problems they had, it looked like they might never get back to be top flight football. Um, and there's a lot of that sort of Yorkshire, West Yorkshire and, and South Yorkshire where it's really underrepresented for the size of the cities in the top flight. Um, so I think Bielsa has that. Plus he played, he just played this this utterly free way and he's Argentinian and it's a, one of the great kind of, countries of football you know they've won the world cup so many times so i think there's a lot going on Leeds, Leeds i know a couple of Leeds fans they, they still absolutely love bielsa despite it being you know his fault they were in that battle anyway really this season and the fact that he would he just refused to ever slightly tighten up or even it looked like the anytime you got a corner against Leeds, it looked like any team in the league would score um so I don't know. I, I don't think Marsh, I don't think he'll be there. He, he could be, I reckon he will be the bookies favourite for the first casualty of next year. Because I don't think they re, they've really taken to him. Um, but I don't know. They should, Leeds, Leeds fans will just be enjoying it now. They'll be, you know, they'll be absolutely on Clyde nine. And let them enjoy it for a bit, you know. Keep it. God, they're in the league. It's six points for Man United next season. It's the only, the only <laughs> team we can beat is still in the league. So, you know, we might avoid an early relegation battle. That uh, that could be absolutely famous last words. I'm just jotting a little note down here so I can clip that up, save that and use that against you uh, next season, Alex, uh, if things go badly for Manchester United. But we're, uh, we're going to wrap it up for part two. In part three, we are going to be talking about Manchester United. So Alex will get his chance to wax lyrical about the Europa League next season. But just to recap on the relegation picture, Burnley down after six seasons in the Premier League. They'll join Watford and Norwich in the Championship next season. Leeds United survive alongside Everton. They will be in the Premier League next season. So we're going to grab a quick break. After the break, it is the Europa League. Manchester United into the Europa League once again and West Ham slip down to the Europa Conference League. We're going to be discussing all of that in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Welcome back to the final Football Social Daily podcast of the 21-22 season. It is the final day of the season, but here on the Football Social Daily, we are still with you over the summer. We're switching from a five-day schedule to a three-day schedule, which means that Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we will have a fresh Premier League podcast for you. So as always, hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to that show as soon as as it is ready. Right, we're wrapping up the season and we're wrapping up the show with Manchester United and it feels quite fitting, Alex, because we're going to get you to talk Europa. And this, for me, was a microcosm of Manchester United's season. A 1-0 defeat away at Crystal Palace with a winning goal scored by a former Manchester United player in Wilf Zaha. It almost looked as if Man United were trying to lose to try and somehow keep themselves 
out of the Europa League, but they didn't want to be in the Europa Conference League. According to yourself and loads of other United fans that we've had on, you don't want to be in either of them. Um, and they did their best to cock it up. But unfortunately, West Ham cocked it up even more by losing against Brighton, which means that it's going to be them in the Conference League and United in the Europa League. We, we are half joking about this, but this is a European qualification place for United. Are you still in the position that you don't want it because it was top four or nothing? Ten Hag has obviously got a huge job to do in the next few weeks and months. Is this is this a slight positive for Manchester United to end the season on? Obviously, United wanted top four. They want to be challenging for major honours. But considering where you've come from a few months ago, to get a Europa League position has to be some form of positivity. No, I don't, I don't see it as a positive at all. Um, and, I'll t- and I'll tell you why. I mean, not just the fact that um, I think Ten Hag has got a massive, massive job to do. I also think when you play on that Thursday night and sometimes the week puts you on it, you might get a Saturday 12.30 or a, a, you know, a three o'clock Saturday. It is a little more difficult depending on where you've travelled back from. Um, but there's a sort of received wisdom about uh, winning. You know, it's how you win the League Cup or if you go and win the Europa um, it's great because then you can, you've got a trophy and then the season after you can build on that. And Mourinho won the Europa Cup. Um, and then the season after it, it all absolutely fell apart. Solskjaer came within uh, a David De Gea penalty of winning uh, the Europa. And then very quickly after that, it also again fell apart. And I just, I just don't see it as, it's not the kind of um, thing that will attract the the better players. Um, and bear in mind, you might say, well, would the absolute top players want to, you know, there's better teams in the league than United. There are better teams in the league than United, but there's probably not any team that pays the stupid wages that United will pay. And that ultimately does still get you really top players. And um, I think Ten Hag's job should almost solely be focused on, you only have to focus on 38 games. If he was to say that at the beginning of the season and say, well, we, we got the League Cup in the first game, we don't care. We got the FA Cup, we don't care. We we play the kids in the Europa. I think every single United fan would be 100% behind him because we've been so terrible in the league for maybe all but two of the last nine seasons since we last won it um, that it's becoming... I, I'm old enough to remember when United didn't win the league for, I think it was 26, 27 years, 26 years. And with each passing season, even when Ferguson first came, it, it became this bigger thing um, and it will very soon start to become that again. Uh, so the Europa is just a distraction that I just don't focus on. It would be my advice. It would be my hope that we just play the kids, play the reserves, play anybody. I don't care. Just don't. I don't want to be in it. I don't particularly want to watch it. I just want us to have a decent week campaign and look like, for once, we've got rid of all the chances at the club, all the players who down tools, three and four, three or four seasons almost on the on the chart. They get they get Van Hal sacked, they get Mourinho sacked, they get Solskjaer sacked. They've not turned up for Ranić. Get rid of them, start again, and let's just see what happens. 
looking at West Ham's position, 3-1 defeat away from home at Brighton means that they miss out on the Europa League. They had to match or better United's um United's perform uh, sorry, United's result to get into the Europa League ant. Can they feel a little bit aggrieved? It's been a really long season for David Moyes and his team. They got all the way through to the semis in the in the in Europa League, obviously then losing out to Frankfurt. That could have been a backdoor route into the even the Champions League for next season. And they do have a thin squad and they do stretch their resources a lot, but you can have a bit of sympathy for West Ham because they've really, really stayed in the race and stayed in the race when you expected them to maybe drop off and play in Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, as as Alex pointed out, that United are going to have to do next season. They didn't fall down. They didn't look for excuses. They didn't look for injuries to blame for the position that they were in. But they've just been squeezed out and United have been poor by their standards, whereas West Ham have maybe been punching above, but they've just been pipped at the final post. Yeah, and early in the season, you know, they were hovering around fourth place and everyone's kind of going, oh, this is good and get excited about it. But, you know, they'll never they'll never maintain that. And considering where they were as, as a club a couple of seasons ago, fighting with relegation, I think absolutely they've got to look at it as in terms of a project. And if you're looking at it in, in terms of over two or three or four seasons, since Moyes has come in, gone back to that club, it's really turned things around. And the, you're starting to see a, a number of things happen. I mean, it finally feels like the London Stadium is their home ground now. It feels adopted, particularly what we saw last week uh, with, with the send-off for Mark Noble. And, and that really rattled City when they went there. And, uh, you know, in terms of what they've done, I think they've really enjoyed the, the West Ham fans that I know I've been speaking to and our, our collective boss is one of them. They've really enjoyed this European adventure. And the fact that they've got European football again is a great thing for them. Now, they, they, they just missed out. On, on top six so that if they if they sort of managed to win today there would have been top six pushed United out playing in Europa again but they still got European football and I think on the scale of things with all those things considered the, the squad the logistics the travel all those it has been a very long season but it puts them in a really great position moving forward it strengthens Moy's position with that with that squad and the building we've seen some really great talent come through there as well obviously you know they've been lacking in in in, in a regular striker uh relying on Antonio who, who popped up with a goal again today but we've seen great performances from the likes of, of Bowen and obviously Rice is you know people are sort of fishing around for Declan Rice but if they can hold on to a couple of these players bring in some other talent I think they're going to be very pleased with that season. Of course, you know, that, that it's not going to rub them well that they're still finishing below uh, Tottenham and Chelsea, but I think this puts them in a really good position to kick on from. Final game of the season uh, and final game of the weekend, Alex, probably filed under dead rubber going into this one. Leicester City 4, Southampton 1. Neither of them in a position really to challenge for anything, but it is going to be an important summer for Brendan Rodgers in terms of decisions that he makes. But one of the most impressive statistics that I've dug out to wrap up the podcast and uh, to wrap up the season is the evergreenness of Jamie Vardy. Despite the fact he spent most of the campaign injured, he still knocked in 15 Premier League goals. So that's 15 goals in 25 games. He's got a better minutes-to-goal ratio than anybody in the Premier League, including Salah and Son, who are sharing the golden boots. And his goal, his goal conversion rate is absolutely phenomenal when it's compared to them. He still has another season to go. That's one bright spark for Leicester. There are big decisions for Brendan Rodgers to make. But 
it is just incredible that Jamie Vardy can still do this. And even if there are changes at Leicester this summer, Vardy will still be the main man for them going into 22-23. Yeah, you see, it doesn't seem that long ago that Arsenal were after him. Um, and I wonder if he's going to... I mean, he's got a champion's... He, he won the league with Leicester and he's been really loyal to them. He came from Fleetwood. They were the only team, Leicester were the only team that would take a chance on him. And he, he repaid that, I think, with staying. But a lot of the teams that we've been talking about tonight, uh, West Ham, who Ant was just talking about, what would West Ham? West Ham would have easily made Europe. Uh, they're in the conference anyway, aren't they? But uh, they would have easily um probably maybe come fifth if they'd have got a Jamie Vardy. Would Arsenal have come fourth? Yes, I think they would. Uh, would, I, I don't I can't think of many teams that wouldn't. Would, would City be improved with Jamie Vardy? I think they would. Um, he's, he is a, a horrible player to watch when he's not playing for your side. I don't, I don't like anything about him when he's playing against United. I think he fouls a lot. I think he's nasty. But I think all great strikers have got that selfish streak and actually that's that's another thing his games developed over the last two or three years where if he had um if he still had Mares with him um he he turned into a bit of a creator as well as an 89 goal scorer he's just he's just a really really a really good player I I'm surprised someone like you know maybe Newcastle have got the money to tempt him away and I, I I'm surprised there's five or six teams not consistently phoning Leicester every day saying please so was Jamie Vardy because he he is a really really good player he is indeed and uh, hopefully uh, he keeps scoring goals for Leicester City Leicester fans will want that but United Arsenal City Liverpool everyone else probably won't want him to but considering as I say he spent so much time injured to still knock in 15 Premier League goals is an incredible achievements uh, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the football social daily and we're going to wrap it up for the 2021-22 season that is it it's been an incredible 38 games manchester city crowned as champions tottenham into the top four alongside chelsea and liverpool manchester united into europa with arsenal and west ham in the europa conference league down the bottom it is leeds who survive and it is burnley that slip through the trap door on the final day of a brilliant campaign and we're going to wrap it up we're going to call it there for today's podcast Ant I'm getting a little bit emotional here Ant Alex thank you very much hmm. I, t- I, I tell you what if we have another day like this at the end of next season we're all going to need those pacemakers that Christian Eriksen's got because it's been stressful <laughs> It has been very, very stressful. But we can sign off. We can now, you know, instead of being on the proverbial beach, we can now go and get ourselves on the real beach. Flip-flops on, shorts on. Alex has got himself booked the in pub. For, uh, for, a, for, for a Europa League <laughs> yeah. trip away with Manchester United <laughs> next season. But, uh, but that's it for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Thank you so much for your support right the way through the Premier League season. It's been greatly appreciated, but we are still powering on over the summer, switching to a three-day week instead of a five-day week. So as always, keep on listening hit subscribe if you're a new fan of the podcast and we can keep you topped up all the way across the summer and we'll also be previewing and reviewing next weekend's Champions League final Liverpool going to Paris against Real Madrid so don't forget to keep on listening and we'll speak to you again very very soon Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk